Many of you would probably agree that the people who work in the legal and sports sectors are ambitious people that strive for success, whether it be on the sports field or in their work. However, what happens when success comes? How do people cope with the demands and challenges that it brings? Demetrius Efestalyu, Vice President Legal at Major League Soccer, or the MLS as it's commonly known, addresses these questions as he talks to with me, Sean Cottrell, the CEO of Law & Sport, and my colleague Jake Cohen, about his experience working at the MLS as the organisation has experienced incredible growth, particularly over the last 10 years. If you're a sports lawyer or you work in sports business and you want to find out more about how the MLS is structured, the role of lawyers within the organisation, and find out more about how the MLS sells its international media rights and how morals clauses are changing the contract negotiations in football, then make sure you stay tuned for a great episode. I hope you enjoy the show. Well, welcome to today's uh, podcast. I'm delighted to welcome Demetrius Estayu. Um, he's the VP Legal at Major League Soccer. And joining us is Jake Cohen, a consultant for law in sport and a sports lawyer based in Boston in the US. So Demetrius and Jake, welcome. Thank you for having me, guys. Yeah, it's a pleasure. My pleasure. Um, to start off with, uh, Demetrius, I wondered if you could explain what your role is and what the type of work you're involved with at the MLS. As you said, uh, I'm vice president of legal uh, within the league office here in New York City. And so uh, our team in the legal department is actually uh, quite lean, as I'd say. Uh, we're five, five attorneys here. Uh, myself, I report directly up to the general counsel. Then I have a team of three counsel uh, that work with me, a senior counsel and two uh, counsel uh, along with her. And, you know, without sounding trite, what we do is, is proper in-house work. Uh, we, are, we are generalists uh, by, by necessity, uh, and I'll, I'll get to why that is, um, because we deal with every single business segment within the league. So our role is to be business affairs attorneys, essentially. Uh, we work with the corporate partnerships and sponsor team. We work with the, the media and broadcast department. We work with our consumer products and uh, licensed product team. Uh, we work with our digital team, which runs our website, MLSsoccer.com, uh, as well as they create digital content for distribution uh, along uh, a number of different platforms. We work with our finance department as well, uh, particularly when we're dealing with uh, credit facilities and the like. Uh, and then, you know, we work on some big, meaty projects with uh, on the corporate side, uh, whether that's expansion clubs or uh, ownership stake transfers uh, within a club. We do some uh, some league policy work, which uh, impacts not just the the league office, but also all the clubs. And then we work on some special projects with the commissioner's office as well. So, it, you know, that we we run the gamut on all of our different business segments. There's one area that that um, the legal department does not uh, get too involved in, and that is with the player and competition side. Our player department has a staff of attorneys uh, within that department that that work on uh, hiring and negotiating uh, for player contracts. So that's that's the one area we don't get involved in. Now, uh, 
an interesting aspect of our job as well is that when I say we do all this this work for the league office, uh, we do we do that work within all those business segments also for our sister affiliate company, uh, which is Soccer United Marketing. Soccer United Marketing is essentially the commercial arm of, of Major League Soccer, and they also represent a few other uh, soccer-related properties uh, within their portfolio. Uh, the two most prominent ones being uh, U U the U.S. Soccer Federation and the Mexican national team, uh, or the, the federation that is, within the United States. So we, we do work for both of those soccer properties uh, on the commercial side in terms of uh, selling corporate partnerships, uh, as well as some consumer products uh, work. And then we also, for the Mexican national team, we also uh, help run a U.S. tour, a series of friendly matches within the U.S. that, that Mexico plays. So, so that is, in a very brief nutshell, the type of work we do. Well, well, that's that's sort of, sounds like a vast sum of work. And um, only recently, actually, yesterday, I was having a, a conversation with um, the guys at SoccerX, and they were telling me how big the Mexican, from a commercial perspective, uh, how big a Mexican football is, and how big the um, uh, Mexican team is, um, particularly in the U.S. So, I, I can only imagine the sort of the, the volume of work that's coming out of that. So you mentioned all of these different areas that the the legal team is involved with, from you know the sort of marketing, merchandising, finance, media, policy, working with the commissioner's office, etc. Um, what's your what is your background? How did you come to work at, at Major League Soccer? Are you uh, are you a, a finance were you a finance lawyer, corporate lawyer? Where did you how did your sort of career pan out? So um, uh, I got involved with soccer from a professional standpoint um, when I was in law school. I, early on in my, in my uh, life as a law student, I made a decision that I, I wanted to be in, in sport, and not just in sport, but particularly in soccer or football. And so I interned at Major League Soccer back in 2004. Um, and I'm not sure how, how familiar our listeners are uh, with, with the history of MLS, but you know, the early oddies, uh, MLS was in a very different position than they are now. And so in 2004, MLS was just coming out of a period of contraction where they, they, they um, closed operations down to two clubs in Florida in 2002. And uh, 2004 was when they just started to expand the league again with, uh, with Real Salt Lake and Chivas USA. So the office was, was small at that time. And frankly, there was there was no opportunity for me after that uh, that internship. And my mentor at the time, who is now the general counsel, Bill Ordauer, was very blunt with me. He said, "Go get experience uh, in in a larger practice. Cut your teeth there, and if you know, keep in touch. And if there's ever an opportunity, um, you know, throw your hat in the ring." So, uh, for the listeners, if you haven't already guessed, I'm Greek. And my family spends quite a significant amount of time in Greece, so I was looking for a place to uh, uh, to work that would get me closer to my family in Greece. And I found myself in London after law school, practicing for a very large law firm, uh, Allen and Overy, in London, uh, practicing equity capital markets and a bit of M&A work. Uh, I was there for three and a half years and ended up making a move into, believe it or not, private banking. Uh, there was a client of Allen & Ovary's that I, I, I was seconded to, and that turned into a full-time position 
um, within the Swiss private banking world. And while I was there, um, there was an opportunity that came up at MLS, and I threw my hat in the ring, and I found myself uh, almost eight years after that internship back at MLS in the beginning of 2011. And I say that, I know it's long-winded, but I say that uh, to, to, to make a point that it was not a direct line into sports. Um, you know, uh, I knew I wanted to be a lawyer and I knew I wanted to be in soccer and it took a long time for me to get there. It was, uh, it was, uh, you know, a, a bit of zigzagging and some indirect movements to get uh, back into sport. And did you think when Bill said to you, you know, stay in contact, did you think, oh, he means really do stay in contact and put your hat in the ring? Or did you just think, oh, that's something that everyone kind of says? Um, yeah. Did you ever think, yeah, this is, this is going to happen? Yeah, that's a great question. Uh, you know, hindsight's twenty twenty, right? And uh, if you were asking me that in the middle of my career as a corporate attorney, when I was, uh, you know, I was in it, and I'm not sure how familiar you are with with the type of hours that some of the corporate attorneys <laughs> yes, work, I am. But, you know, uh, and and it was there was some days where I was like, okay, this is this is who I am. I'm going to be a Swiss private banking attorney, or I'm going to be a, a, a equity capital markets attorney. Uh, and then there was other days where I was, you know, whether I had a good conversation or I had a great, uh, a great uh, meeting with someone at a conference uh, to try to get myself back into sport. Uh, you know, I was feeling more optimistic about it. Uh, so uh, it was, it was a series of the ups and downs, but I did have a very strong relationship with, uh, with my mentor, with Bill, and it's evident now we have a great working relationship today, uh, that I kept in regular contact with him and a number of other uh, former colleagues at MLS. And, you know, uh, I think those contacts were instrumental uh, in, in ensuring that I was, I was in the, maybe not the front of their mind, but, but somewhere still there, right, that when opportunities came up that they would let me know. And just to be just to be clear, then, so how you kept in contact, you weren't. So this is one of the things that I always find really interesting, you know, given, you know, and Jake's probably Jake's exactly in exactly the same position, given our role sort of in the sports law community and staying in contact with so many people, we always get aspiring sports lawyers and they can be as you, you know, as you were, you know, five years qualified or more um, trying to break into sport. And they and and we're trying to explain to them, you know, keeping good good relations, keeping in contact. I take it that wasn't like a forced thing. You obviously made a conscious decision to stay in contact, but it wasn't something you had to, to by the sound of the thing, it wasn't something you had to force. It was something you naturally wanted to do and wanted to keep in contact and find out how they were doing, right? Does that Was that a fair assessment? Yes, I think that that's accurate. And I, I want to make clear that, you know, I was, I was very... Uh, concerted in my effort to keep contact with them. You know, there's that fine line between being annoying right? <laughs> and being um, genuine and authentic in your in your desire to keep in touch. Right? There's, it, it, that's a hard balance to strike. And uh, you know what what I did, and it worked for me. Uh, I'm not sure if it would work for everyone else. Was I, I basically set a goal for you know quarterly, basically say I would I will have at least two or three, uh, whether it's coffees or telephone conversations with, with people within this space. Uh, so I at least would, would stay fresh, right. Or branch out in my networking. Um, and that's what I did. I mean, over the span of seven to eight years, right. Well, that shows commitment as well, doesn't it? That shows real commitment. If you're keeping in contact for that long, you know, they know that you're in it for the long haul and not just a, just a whim. Um, 
you're in a kind of a privileged position. I didn't quite realise that you, for some reason, I, I'm sure you probably told me when we initially met, um, but my memory uh, fails me on this point. But you know, you, you were intern in 2004, as you said, it was a point of, um, you know, you're coming into the end of a contraction and just looking to expand out again, and then rejoining in 2011. How have you seen, given both your experience in 2004 and then over the last four or so years, the legal function? Uh, develop because you know to be frank the MLS has been a, I think a success and it's seeing some significant growth now so how has that changed well it's changed in in two two very particular ways one is just in terms of human resources uh, at the time that I was an intern the the legal department was a staff of one uh, or if I want to be uh, uh, a little generous, I'd say a staff of one and a half because it was one one full-time attorney and then a paralegal and then an intern who would come through. So so in terms of resources, you know, we've grown fivefold, <laughs> right? Five is still a small number. And, uh, and you know, given the, the amount of work we're getting, I see us growing uh, as, as uh, in the next few years again. But, you know, that's now we have a proper staff. Right. In terms of of the role of the lawyer within this office, that has also changed just in my my five years here from 2011 to now. Uh, I would say when I came in and I think this was the function, this was this was a result of just the the, the small number of staff that we had in our, in our department and less the aspiration. Right. But it was we, we were we were drafting contracts. Right. We would come in. Uh, for you know when a deal was essentially agreed to and and finalized, and we'd come in to transform that deal term sheet into a long form, right? Or we were there to send a cease and desist or to manage litigation. Now, because of our increased staff and because of the sophistication of our staff, that we've been you know all of our staff has been here uh, you know with one exception have been here for several years, that we have much stronger relationships in each of the departments and we get involved very early on where uh in the creation of a deal uh so i would say we are proper uh members of the deal team now as opposed to i don't want to be too pejorative but a scribe or just a drafter right so we we sit at the table with with our counterparts within uh, the media department or the corporate partnerships department or the licensed products department. So, so we're sitting down and helping draft strategy to approach a deal to issue spot early on. So we're viewed as, as again, a business affairs uh, member as opposed to the, the lawyer. And do you think that's helped? So I presume then that helps obviously increase the value because you're able to then spot certain rights or protect certain rights um, and yeah. advise on what the implications will be on what may appear to be a great commercial deal on the face of it when you actually get down to the legal uh, detail you start to go actually what does this permit us to do or right. not permit us to do I, I would I would add to that I would say that because that's almost like a risk management position which we definitely have that function right as a risk manager uh, slash uh, compliance you know uh, you know police officer right which is which is almost the uh, the red tape kind of perspective, right, that a lot of, of business people have of, of us, right, which is something we in our department have, have have strived to really overcome, and I think we've gotten to a great place now where we're viewed as uh, not a, a, a 
a sandbagger or a, a cost center, right? But as a, a value added and, and somebody who's, who's there uh, um, helping make the deal better and to not leave value on the table. Um, so, and that's been a great, uh, uh, I've, I've felt very proud of our team uh, to be part of that transition and to, and, to, and to now be seen in a different light within our office. It's fantastic. Well, that's great because that's uh, you know something that I think external lawyers have trouble with because sometimes you know you have the external lawyers who are essentially providing an in-house function for some of the smaller organisations, but also right. from what I hear from most in-house, well, from uh, also most, um, there's a significant number of in-house lawyers who struggle with that internally. So I think you know that is the, what everyone's playing for. Really. If you can develop yeah. that relationship and work in partnerships with a common goal, then hopefully you'll you know if it works well, um, it helps you achieve your business goals. Right. Totally agree. Totally agree. Um, so even just through listening to that, um, it's quite apparent for those outside, particularly in the UK, that the MLS has got a different structure. The American, American sport generally has a, you know, often has a different structure. Um, what could you explain to people who aren't that familiar with it, what the difference is between, say, the relationship with US soccer and MLS? And then comparing it to something like the FA and then the league, the Premier League and the, right. and the Football League, for example. Yeah, yeah. So um, I can speak uh, a bit towards the the working relationship that that our league has with the federation. Uh, in terms of the the competition side, it, like I said before, you know we don't get involved and I don't get involved much on the competition side, so I wouldn't be able to to properly comment on any of those matters. But uh, you know, I can say, you know, the league has a has an active and positive working relationship with with uh, the federation. And what comes to mind in particular is uh, the is Pro, the Professional Referees Organization, which is um, which is a joint venture uh, in, in not in the formal sense, but in the in the business sense between the federation and major league soccer to help raise the quality and improve the the refereeing within professional soccer so that that is an area where we work very closely with the federation to train up referees to get them good experience through the lower divisions up to the the top division and get you know full full-time referees where they're not that you know this is their job right and that's something that I know is is uh, part and parcel of the the English structure, uh, where you know uh, who was it that used to be a policeman? I'm forgetting now, but uh, you know yeah, had, know. The, the, yeah. yeah went went from from you know this is a part time gig to a full time gig, and we're trying to to uh, get that that level of quality in refereeing um, uh, along with U.S. soccer. Uh, another aspect is, you know, uh, as a, as a professional league within uh, the United States, uh, MLS, along with the other three professional leagues, which are um, uh, then ASL, the USL, and the Women's League NWSL, we all sit on what's called the the uh, the, the pro board or the pro council, uh, and the pro council is a, a member of U.S. soccer. So we participate in the larger uh, corporate structure of the, the nonprofit of the U.S. Soccer Federation, right, which we sit next to the athletes and the youth leagues and the adult uh, amateur leagues. So we, we have a role within the, the governance of U.S. soccer along with all the other people that are playing soccer within the U.S. Great. And... Um... Now, 
I'll, me, obviously, I had a conversation with uh, Jake when well in advance of this. Jake, there was something you wanted to touch on, I believe, around um, international rights. Um, yeah, so, you know, with Major League Soccer recently signing a four-year deal with Sky to MLS games in the UK, and then also signing our rights deal in China as well, I believe, when negotiating with their prospective international media partner, what are some of the key legal issues uh, you want to keep in mind? That's a that's a great question. You know, this is in the last two years. This has been a real focus for us uh, to get our game out to the rest of the world and to show them that we have not just a, a, a competitive league with with um, you know compelling soccer, but also we we have you know the a, a league where really on any given weekend, uh, you know, a, a, any team can win. We have a, we have a balanced league. Um, and so in trying to do that and we're getting out into various markets, not just, you know, you mentioned China and sky, you know, we, we have uh, deals in Latin America as well. And uh, for the rest of uh, the uh, Southeast Asia as well in Australia. So, you know, I'd say that the, some of the key issues that we're, we're, we consider is not just the geographical territory issues, right, but making sure that we are, we are aligning our interests with that broadcaster in the given territory, right? And, and I say aligning interests in the sense of it helps us that Sky promotes the games, right, and that they create additional content outside of just the match broadcast to to uh, to generate fan interest, right, in our league in those given territories. So that, you know, that that alignment of interest takes a number of different forms, but that's really what's what's driving, uh, you know, a lot of our deals is how do we how do we get, uh, you know, in line with that broadcaster to make sure we're creating great content that that the fans uh, in whether England or in China will find compelling. Okay, so it seems like the uh, the focus is more than finding the right partner um, and platform to showcase, uh, you know, this MLS uh, global product in, in emerging markets than, you know, more about, you know, just specifically the bottom line and the raw numbers. Yeah, I mean, I would say that, that listen, cash obviously is an important element of that, right? But it, to right. say it's just the right fee would be ignoring what our, what our, our, our project is, right? Our project is about... Uh, not, you know, ed- I'd say educating the fan, but also, uh, you know, showing great entertainment to that fan, right? And so, if we can, if we can get the right partners in each of those markets, that's worth, you know, uh, uh, that has real value, right? Uh, as opposed to just the right to be. Yeah, definitely. That sounds like a winning strategy. And sorry, um, how much of sort of the production do you do in house? Oh yes, uh, another good question. So we have we have three great partners in in the U.S. that do our national broadcast. That uh, you guys might be aware of: ESPN, Fox Sports, and, and Univision. Uh, all three of those partners, uh, when they produce the games, do they do the production and they also do a lot of the the uh, shoulder programming and additional content uh, around those matches. 
in-house we also do quite a bit of production i don't know if anyone if you guys have spent any time on mlssoccer.com but but we we create a lot of shorts uh whether it's mls insider with hawk films or um or uh, 36 and a number of other shows that we've had in the past where we are trying to tell uh you know not not just lifestyle but we're trying to to communicate to to the fans about you know uh the narrative of these players where they come from and you know and and what what they're doing both on and off the field so that a lot of that's done in house at, at our MLS digital studios i wonder if you could explain what the um relationship is between uh major league soccer and uh the um the player union yeah, well, I'll have to be brief here because I haven't had, uh, I, I've not been part of the collective bargaining um, process. That that's a, a small executive team that works on that, and I haven't been privy to, to any of that. But what I do know, um, based on on just my five years here, just through you know day to day work, that we have a very strong relationship, good working relationship with the union. Um, and I, and I say that through, uh, you know, through the variety of anecdotes and just hearing, uh, from other people in other leagues about the struggles that they have in the U S with their unions that, um, that we're in a good place with our union, as is evident with our, the, the recent CBA deal we announced earlier this year. Great. And then, um, I wondered if, what was the, take taking a step away from, major league soccer for the second um uh, unless jake's got anything to add but um you know in in the international space what is it that you're sort of keeping your eye on at the moment in in the sports law arena that you think as a lawyer you know i need to follow the developments here because this may impact me at some point in the future yeah so there's one place one area in particular and i'm not and i'd be curious to hear what what you guys have have to say about this because you know this is something that in the U.S. sports landscape we're dealing with uh, daily now is trying to figure out how to handle uh, what I would call morals clauses. Uh, and, and, you know, this is part and parcel of kind of the, the, the new reality of, of how media is consumed today, whether it's through various social media platforms or just, you know, on your laptop watching YouTube uh, and the like. But, um, you know, we are finding more and more partners insisting on, uh, you know, uh, morals clauses on, on good behavior of uh, of everyone that is associated with the sport, from the, the athletes themselves to executives uh, within the, the clubs in the league, and and trying to figure out the right balance there, right? I mean, I don't think a, a week or a month goes by without some news about. Uh, a professional athlete behaving poorly and and you know partners uh, care about that and um, trying to find the right balance has been you know it, that's been uh, we've spent a lot of time negotiating those types of clauses here in the league and I know other leagues have done the same too so finding kind of the the you know how that evolves I'm very interested to see that and and presumably though that also has an impact then with your um, I know you don't get involved too much, but with the CBA as well, because essentially that that can be uh, quite restrictive. Um, obviously, um, depending on how onerous it, you know the, the the party you're dealing with is trying to make it being, so that that creates a tension there. Um, from my understanding, um, and the people that you know 
from my understanding from the people that I've spoken to in the various events and etc that we go to that it seems to be one how well the clause is dropped how how wide the clause is but I think in reality it's about you know what mechanisms have been put in place to educate people as to the standard that is expected from them Right. I 100 I percent agree with that. It's about setting expectations and then also about, you know, ensuring that that whether it's the club or the league has the, the ability to to respond to it and, and, and address it. Right. Because, you know, I'm going to sound like my my parents now, my father in particular, but, you know, everyone makes mistakes. Right. And or, you know, you know, sometimes people behave poorly and it's about how you respond to that behavior or that mistake more than the actual mistake itself. Right. So so it's also about ensuring that that the leagues and the clubs have the 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 flexibility and the confidence to respond to it appropriately. Um, So, yeah, I I mean, this is I I find this is really this this space I can see changing uh, and evolving quite a bit in the in the next years particularly when you have, you know, cameras all over the place now. Yeah, I think it's just new technology and new new platforms and new levels of, of, of direct engagement between fans as creates so much wealth of opportunity, but always comes with that as offset against um, a number of risks. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that's attention. I was telling you before about the desire to create uh, more compelling content. Yeah. Right, uh, both on and off the field, right? There's a, there's a tension there. There's a total tension there. But if it wasn't for these things, I guess this is the whole thing, isn't it? This is why sometimes, particularly working in sport, where there is that, you know, the um, impact of sport is much greater than the financial rewards of it, I believe, um, unless you're like a, a, a major star. Um, yeah. That makes it so interesting, from a, particularly from a legal perspective, to be involved with, um, because it does create these um, opportunities that uh, and challenges that maybe sometimes some of the other sectors don't have. I mean, I would say, you know, anecdotally, I've also noticed, um, you know, these moral clauses with regards to uh, sponsorship agreements have become much, much uh, more rigorous um, right. than previously. Um, I think a lot of that has to do with, you know, it's just so easy to make a mistake on social media, but then a lot of it has to do with um, sponsors, you know, really wanting to exert as much control as possible over what they consider an investment, but, you know, it's really a living, breathing club or a living, breathing individual. Um, in fact, uh, one um, potential um, sponsor partner I was talking with actually recounted a deal in which he was able to prevent um, the individual they sponsored from even changing that uh, their haircut or their hair color. So, um, you know, maybe this right. is um, a topic for another time. But, yeah, you know, these moral clauses are really um, getting rigorous because, you know, in yeah. some of these cases, you know, there are millions of dollars at stake and, uh, yeah. you know. But, yeah, you know, I... I so that's those are more of the endorsement deals, and I think the endorsement deals between an individual player and a and a uh, and a, a corporate entity. Like I, I get that, and I think that. But in terms of you know uh, relationships with a club or a league, uh, you know I I think this desire for um, for a morals clause I think is reflective of, of the the move from what I would call what was a sponsorship maybe a decade ago to what uh, would be viewed as a proper partnership uh, between the, the corporate partner and the, and the league or the club. And it shows that, that both parties view themselves as, as, as uh, integrating each other's brands more, more fully, right, in terms of the way they go out to market and promote the, the relationship. So, so uh, I want to be clear. I'm not, I, don't, 
I'm not questioning what the desire is. It, it makes sense to me, right, to, that for somebody in that position to want some sort of morals clause. It's just about how it evolves and where you net out at the end of the day to make it reasonable and sensible. So that's the tough. That's the tough part. Yeah. I guess it's like uh, any relationship as is developing. And I, there's a guy, um, Doug Levy, who says this, we're moving into what they say is a relationship era, um, as yeah. opposed to this sort of um, what you call consumer era or, or, you know, just contractual where, you know, you go, you know, in the old days, let's sign a sponsorship deal or, or whatever it may be, or another um, uh, commercial agreement. And you, you give me exactly what I pay for exactly. And now it's this more evolving process. Um, where you know it's got to be good for both of us and that you know again if you're not using your activation properly if it's not a true partnership then it's not uh, it's not really worth as much as they thought right and and, and that works both yeah. ways too right completely well thank you very much for your your time it's been a fascinating insight and um to hear, one hear about your career two hear about the growth of major league soccer it's been something you know i've been going to the, the u.s now for uh four or five years to, for sports law events and uh, i've seen you know, over that period, I think partly as well, the, the, the success of the national team has, has, has helped, has definitely aided with that. Um, but the growth of, of soccer in the US and I guess also the Premier League deals helped to raise awareness. And then more people want to, you know, I should imagine, go to Major League Soccer games and, and feel the atmosphere and um, and see the, as you call it, the entertainment of, of, of soccer or football yeah. as we would call it over here. Yeah. Yeah. Well, got to be careful because I could never live this down if I, if I keep saying soccer. But um, no, it's been great to chat. Thank you so much for your time. And Jake, thanks for your, your insightful questions and you know your, your expertise from the, the US perspective and uh, is very interesting as well. So thank you very much. Um, uh, it was a great conversation. It was my pleasure. Well, that's all we have time for for this show. Remember, if you want to stay up to date on the latest sports law issues and developments, go to lawinsport.com and follow us on Twitter at lawinsport or subscribe on iTunes or SoundCloud to the podcast. Have a great week.